Hi there, folks, and welcome to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima again. Thanks for joining us today. Hope things are well your end and that you're staying safe and masked and socially distant whenever possible. That's still very much needed. Now, today we've got for you the second part of the conversation we started with Daphne Thompson last week. If you recall, she's an experienced investor who's recently moved to Japan, and she's now taking her first steps in the local real estate property market. So we already chatted a bit last week about what makes Japan unique and what first-time investors should probably be aware of when they're first entering it. And in this second part, we're digging a bit deeper into the other factors that make this environment attractive for many investors, about why it might be a good idea to use a buyer's agency and portfolio management company when buying here, uh, particularly when starting out or for remote hands-off landlords. We talk affordability, legal recourse, documentation, uh, different property tenant profiles, cash cows versus mid-range or higher-end properties, building materials and lifespans, potential capital growth or lack of, and a lot about what exactly should be included in your due diligence process. Hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did, and I'll be back with you on the other side. Welcome back again. Today we're going to continue our chat with Ziv. Last time we chatted about some of the the, the specific um, advantages and strengths that uh, Nippon Trading International has for any expats. We're going to continue that recap a little and just continue the chat. What we're going to discuss today is um, what it means to actually do due diligence on a property. What is Ziv's specific next move within the, the property market? Um, and why is capital gain, property capital gain, not really a thing in Japan? Yeah, stay tuned, have a look, and enjoy this video. That one already. I wanted to ask you what makes you guys different from using any other, but you really did um, nail that one really well with, with the value that you add to any expats, with your expertise, first of all, then your, your current relationships with with your um, um, with the locals well, what else? expats are not not our main mar- i mean we have about 20 percent of our customers who are actually living in japan but 80 percent of them live overseas and that's the other advantage for them to be using a buyer's agent is that they don't actually have to come here in person and sign documents and do anything like that so we they give us a limited power of attorney document to represent them here mm. and then we can do everything on their behalf the other thing is with Japanese uh, professionals, like say property managers, um, because most of our customers, again, are overseas, property managers here very rarely can just wrap their head around the concept of sending and receiving funds overseas. It's just not a thing that they do or are willing to do. Um, and obviously, the monthly statements they provide is in Japanese and the building management companies are even worse. I mean, they, they can't even do anything without a paper form inserted in the post to a local oh. Japanese address. So that's the other advantage. And I guess the other two advantages are um, if you're working with realtors, you sort of need to pick and choose who you're working with. Some of them are fantastic. Um, like uh, I've seen Shannon on your uh, YouTube channel who is absolutely amazing. Mm. And if you happen to land someone like that, you're in good hands. But a lot of them are actually, and it's not necessarily their fault, um, they, they work for bigger companies who are pushing them to conduct a certain amount of sales by the end of the month. And they've got a list of uh, exclusive properties that they make a higher commission from. So they always steer you towards choosing the properties that are better for them if you buy. And if you work through a buyer's agent, you just, um, 
you don't need to deal with that. I mean, we choose the realtor, we choose the property, we don't care who we work with, we don't care what you buy, we just care about your interests. Um, so that's a bit of an advantage. And the other thing is the, um, the diversity that's open to you if you don't have to work only with the English-speaking agents, right? Mm. Like if you've got access to the entire market and you can choose any property manager that you want or the one that actually does a good job, rather than the ones that only cater, rather than only the ones who cater to foreigners, and then you've got access to the market, to the entire market, as opposed to just a very small selection of um, professionals that you can work with. How did you and your wifey construct this specific business? Because this is honestly brilliant. I think it is freaking brilliant, the way that you establish yourself, the way that you, you put everything together in order to give a really valuable product to anyone that wants to invest um, in Japan. How did you guys put this, this business together? Um, we just bought our own few properties to invest in uh, for a start. Um, and after we got a few of those under our belt, we sort of just running into all these difficulties um, as a foreigner. And for me, it was so much easier because I had a Japanese person by my side escorting me throughout the process. So we just figured there'd be a lot of people in a similar situation who could use a hand doing exactly that. And Japan was a phenomenally attractive market compared to what I know. I mean, affordability here is, is so low. I mean, you, you just, you can buy into the market for 20, 30,000 bucks. And the, um, the returns, um, compared to a developed country, I mean, a first world country getting, you know, seven, eight, nine percent net pre tax. When we started, it was even higher because prices were even lower. And um, that's not something that you can easily get in the developed world. So if I take um, Australia, where I had a property before I came here, um, my Australian property, for the price of that one, when we sold it in Australia, for the price of that single property that we liquidated there, we bought, I think, eight or 10 condo units here. Mm. So again, diversity. I mean, one tenant moves out, you've still got 90% of your income stream going. And the return is so much higher. I mean, rental return there was, in a good location, maybe three and a half, four percent 4%, if I'm lucky. And then I have to sort of depend on capital growth, which does happen in Australia, but still it sometimes happens for a few years and then stops, sometimes goes down a bit. So here I could reach the same level of, of yield or higher without having to think about capital growth just by rent, collecting rental income. So, so it's a very attractive market. It's the, ma the main uh, strategy in Japan is just uh, buy to rent, cash flow strategies. Definitely cash flow. And um, the last thing is the tenants here are just a dream. I mean, they don't break stuff. They stay in the same place for a long time. Mm -hmm. They don't keep trying to uh, negotiate you down. They don't come up to you with uh, strange requests. I mean, they've got other issues that are Japan specific, but things that you're used to from other countries, um, mm -hmm. there's no crime labs or, you know, uh, 10 people squatting in a tiny apartment. It just doesn't happen here, right? They're docile. They're stable it's it's just a, it's a dream environment to be working in and the yeah. um the companies that you work with too right like if you look at the states or australia i mean it's not nice to say but the insurance company is out to get you 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 miss one payment there's suddenly a, um three times the payment in late fees or delayed fees and um the building management companies um come up with different schemes to separate owners from the money left right and center this sort of thing just doesn't happen here so for someone like me, at least, like 
I'm kind of like geeky. I like everything to have a paper trail a mile long and I like everything to be uh, properly documented and written down and calm. So for me, it's a dream, but there's other people, you know, who prefer to do quick deals under the table and uh, half of it paid in cash, half of it documented. For them, Japan's not a good place. Mm. Um, what would you say is a sufficient amount to get into the property market in Japan? What, what is your, your initial budget that you should have? Let's take finance out of it. Let's just say we need, for example, 30 million yen. What would be the entry level? The entry level is a lot lower than that, but at the very bottom of it, the quality is not super high as well. So you can find cash flow properties at um, even two or three million yen. So 20, what's that? 18,000 up to maybe 25,000 US. They do exist. Um, but they're in locations that will give you reasonable rental income, but have absolutely no growth potential, or at least not, not a very high growth potential whatsoever. And the buildings are much older. The properties are much smaller. So the fact that they're smaller is actually good for maintenance because there's less to repair and maintain. Mm. But they also come with um, smaller land plots as a result of that. So again, capital growth potential is much lower. And they're older buildings and they're lower income tenants. So it's mostly elderly, destitute kind of pensioners or convenience store workers, um, foreign students, people that, um, again, they don't cause problems like they might in other countries. I mean, you know, if you're buying that level in the U.S., you're probably buying in a ghetto and you'd be lucky if you get your um, money every month. But so here it doesn't happen. They do pay. Um, but if they're elderly and destitute, they could die in a property or they could be hospitalized and die out of the property. Um, if they're low income earner, they might have a little bit of payment issues once in a while, not, not anything crazy and you don't need to forcibly evict them or anything, but there's more chasing them up, that sort of thing. So to be safer and stable and have higher quality tenant, I'd probably start at about 5 million yen. So about 45,000 US. It'll get you a reasonable property, not in the central Tokyo or Osaka, but in a lot of other cities. Hmm. That, that's very interesting. So what are the things that a newbie should look out for starting investing in Japan? Um, well, you need to know what due diligence consists of here. That would be the first thing. Um, Again, going back to one of the videos on your channel with the uh, with the death property that we were looking <laughs> at. Jikubuken, yeah. Jikubuken, yeah. So that sort of thing, um, like for me watching that, the, the first email that you got from that agent that tried to present that as everything's okay and it's been smoothed over and the exorcism uh, has been done and everything. So it's all true that that all needs to be done, but that stigma does not go away. So you need to be aware of that. Unless you're planning to rent or sell to foreigners, that's going to be an issue forever kind of thing. Um, and that's even in cases of accidental death. I mean, uh, it's obviously not as bad uh, as a murder, but even if somebody died in the property just because they were old, that yeah. still has an effect, at least on the next tenant or two. And um, so you need to look into that. You need to look into, if you're buying in a co-owned block, you need to be aware of what the building is made of. They're not all made of reinforced concrete here. Some of them are wood. Some of them are steel. They've got shorter lifespans. They take more maintenance. 
Um, you need to be aware of what renovations were done on the building and how much they've got in the reserve funds pool. Um, and you need to be aware of the fact that it's going to be difficult for you as a foreigner to function here without having somebody not hold your hand. I mean, it's not a case of you needing help. It's a case of the entire market is basically 90% afraid to work with you. So you just need to be aware of um, the infrastructure that are quite different here. So, you know, how to pay the monthly fees if you own a condo and how to receive your rental income, how to pay the expenses, how much the bank charges are for even a tiny transaction. These are all things that are vastly different here compared to other countries. Um, so you just need to look at that. You need to know which tenant profile is attractive here and which tenant profile is less attractive. It's sometimes uh, counterintuitive to other countries. And same goes for the property profile. You need to know, I mean, again, comparing to the uh, States or Australia, a big family home is a dream property for rental. Uh, here, it's a lot harder to tenant these properties. And they take a lot more maintenance because they're made of wood as opposed to a condo unit in a reinforced concrete structure. And they're harder to tenant because the population is going down means a lot of households are singles or couples without kids. Um, so it's a lot harder to find a tenant for a family-sized property. And there's upsides, again, there's flip coins to, uh, to every, every one of these issues, but you just need to be aware of them beforehand. And um, I guess the only other thing is um, you need to be aware of the communication style here. I mean, people don't, even the professionals that you work with, um, how can I say that? If I was, for example, in Australia, the US again, and I I hear from my property manager, I make a decision my property manager thinks is not a good idea. He's going to say, now don't put the rent that high or don't raise it this high or don't do the renovation this way, don't do it that way. They're going to tell me, right? They're going to say, now, look, that's really not a good idea. It's going to be hard for you. That doesn't happen here, right? So here, the professionals that you work with are like, mm, are you sure that that's, what you want to do and okay. And they'll go with you, right? Like they, they, again, they, they want to avoid conflict. So they're not going to come out and say, this is a good investment. This is a bad investment. This is a good idea. This is a bad idea. If you're not working with somebody who at least um, lived or studied for a while overseas, mm. their communication mm. style is very Japanese. So you need to learn to read their nuances in between the lines and try to understand what it is that they're saying. And the same goes for tenants as well, right? Like we have, we have a customer who's investing in other countries as well. And she's used to every time a new tenant moves in to send them a little gift basket. Right. And you do that here. They freak out. They'll move out like a week after they moved in. Like what the hell is the landlord communicating with me with? They, they're not supposed to do that. So just these little cultural nuances that you just need to be aware of. Yes. I find that fascinating. All right. So if um, you are our, for example, I decide I want to work with you. Um, I'm a new investor. Would you be able to then take care of all of those sort of things. So we give you your your commission or your fee, set fee to, to handle the service. You find the property, you do the property managing, you basically it's a, a stress-free type of investment that I just get my monthly cash flow. When things go well, obviously tenants move <laughs> out, you need to renovate. <laughs> Let's not make promises we can't oh. keep. Um, you still need to handle the things that a normal landlord would need to handle, right? The fact that we are there um, gives you a single point of contact. So you don't need mm -hmm. to deal with like five or six or seven different entities every month. 
um, and it gives you uh, informed advice and recommendations um, that are probably going to be better than you just trying things on your own for the first time. Um, but there's no magic bullets. I mean, it's not a, a term deposit in the bank. It's still a property investment and there's still issues that will come up once in a while. No, understandable, but you would then act as semi like a sourcing agent as well as a managing agent or the property, the the leasing agent, or would you find a new uh, tenant in that, that regard? We do everything if you if you want us to. I mean, we do have some uh, expat clients who live in Japan and they're happy just dealing with the property manager on a monthly basis on their own, at which point they just need us for the purchase. They don't need us for the management. Mm. But if you want us to, then we'll take over everything, yes. And we work with third parties, which is the other advantage. So if a particular property manager is not quite living up to the expectations, we just replace them and put another one in their place. Um, same with renovation companies. We don't like the quote. We know where to go and look for other quotes and that sort of thing. So we do take a lot of the hassle out of the process and out of the management as well. Um, and we do provide advice that will probably save you a good few bucks. And we also know how to negotiate a good price if it's possible. Uh, whereas if you're doing it on your own, you might think, okay, this is it and I got to buy it as is. Um, but it's never 100% hands-free. I mean, you're still a landlord. There's still tenants moving in and out once every few years. There's still decisions to be made once in a while. That's all still there. Yeah. Why specifically is uh, capital gain not really a massive strategy in Japan? Um, because it's just not a guaranteed thing here. I mean, I, I would argue that, you know, in the last 10 years or so, it's not really a guaranteed thing anywhere in the world, but at least in other countries, like say, if you're buying in the heart of, um, uh, New York or, uh, Johannesburg, I suppose would be similar or Australia, then you might have your cycles. I mean, there might be a few years of property prices going down, but generally they're trending up over time. Um, here, that's not a thing because of the very fast population decline here. We don't feel it in the bigger cities because the bigger cities are absorbing the smaller townships, right? So the population of uh, Tokyo, Fukuoka, Nagoya, Osaka is still stable or going up. Um, but the smaller townships are dying out and the general population figures are going down. So when the population goes down, uh, the workforce obviously shrinks. There's more older people who need support and less younger people who can support them. And for a country in that situation to generate constant GDP growth and constant property prices growth um, is just not a given, right? So I'd be really happy to say that, you know, Japan's implemented some serious policies, um, like you heard in the podcast about immigration or actually encouraging people it's mostly women who are voting uh, with their bodies sort of thing not to have babies so i would love to see um, the government implement some policies that would help to change that um, but they haven't done that to any significant degree just yet so um how did there was some economists to put it um you know for a country with a shrinking population even 1% of GDP growth or half a percent of GDP growth is like a miracle if it happens, right? Because there's less production, but somehow the economy fares better. It's great, but whether it's going to last um, beyond an extra number of years, I just don't know to tell you that. So we used to say until the Olympics, it'll probably keep growing. Uh, the property market will probably keep rising. And after the Olympics, anyone's guess. 
And now with Corona and the postponement and maybe cancellation of the Olympics, um, I wouldn't even count as, you know, count as far as next year. I don't know. So, so would you be able, flow. yeah, would you be able to make any kind of just your personal opinion projection for the future of property in Japan? I would not touch that one with a temple pole, no, no. Life decision. I, I, I would venture to say that anybody who tells you otherwise is lying through their teeth as well. I mean, I look, I, I can tell you particular locations that are poised to do very well if Japan will continue to do well as a whole. So I can tell you which cities um, are good prospects and which cities um, have ex experienced growth when the economy was doing well overall. Um, but whether that's going to still be the case or not, I just don't know how to tell you. So in which part of Japan would you make your next investment? Um, at the moment with the pandemic, um, I would buy in Tokyo, Osaka and Nagoya. Um, they've definitely seen some price drops and they're probably, if and when this blows over, they'll probably keep climbing at least for another few years. And we're now sort of property price-wise, we're now say four or five years back on the rise graph. So we're doing better in those locations than we have been in the four or five years that uh, just passed. Aside, putting aside the, uh, the current buyer's market in those cities, I'd say places that you want to bank on are not Tokyo and Osaka because they're pretty close to where prices again were before the last bubble burst and the economy, the salaries at least, um, haven't gone up that much. Mm. So as, as long as there's that big of a gap between the property price and the actual earning power, that's really not a place to bet on. Um, I would go for Nagoya, which has taken an even more serious hit and still has a long way to climb before it reaches uh, Tokyo and Osaka proportions. And now they've established um, or establishing the uh, new bullet train line uh, between Tokyo and Nagoya as well, the uh, maglev, the floating bullet train. And to do that, they had to tear down a lot of um, old homes and offices along the new tracks. And that's put a lot of pressure on the occupancy in the center of the city mm -hmm. and in some of the other suburbs. So Nagoya is definitely places where we're seeing a lot of transactions and we're seeing price hikes just before Corona. Now it's taking a slump again. So um, again, even when things go back to normal, that'll be a good place to, um, to be positioned in. Um, Fukuoka has been a bit of a success story for the last, uh, kind of for the same amount of time since 2012. So that was a completely unknown city um, eight years ago. And now it's like the startup hub, uh, startup capital of Japan. And it's positioned, it's a lot closer to Southeast Asia than it is to Tokyo. So it's just a ferry ride away from uh, Korea. Um, an hour plane ride away from China, Taiwan, those kinds of places. So it's a, kind of uh, Japan's gateway to Southeast Asia, if you will. And there's a lot of people in recent years that come from there and don't even venture out to Osaka and Tokyo. They just stay around Kyushu and Fukuoka is the main city in Kyushu. Um, it's also a lot younger um, than other cities in Japan. It's a lot more modern. Um, people switch jobs and move in, in and out of houses a lot more than in other places, but it's, um, it's a very vibrant uh, city with a lot of uh, room to grow. So uh, prices there are still maybe 60, 50, 60% uh, below Osaka and Tokyo. Um, so still plenty of room to grow there. So yeah, there's growth potential and also the turnover is higher then. The turnover is higher, but the tenants are higher quality as well. There's a lot more young professionals and couples with kids. 
um, not as many older school destitute sort of pensioners that we have in other cities. Um, so, I mean, the thing is, I mean, if a tenant moves out after a period of, um, say, eight or 10 years, if it's an elderly man or even in some cases an elderly lady, um, they tend to not really take very good care of the place. Um, Which is understandable. Yeah, yeah, I mean, no, no complaints, especially if they get sicker and older and some of them, again, die in the property or out of the property. That's a whole different kettle of fish to, to deal with. But I'd rather have a young professional who's actually accountable because he knows we'll follow up with his owner if he leaves a mess behind, uh, with his, uh, sorry, with his employer, sure. if he, leave, he leaves a mess behind him and he's got a family to be accounted, uh, accountable for still. Um, so, yeah, they're more transient, but they're also better tenants to have overall. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and giving me all of this knowledge. I just, I'm just blown away. I feel like I've learned so much regarding this. What is the oh. one thing that you would leave me with as a uh, not necessarily a new investor in investment, but specifically in Tokyo? If you can give me one sentence, what would it be? Um, I say, first thing off, you found a really good agent, stick with her. Um, she, she knows the, she knows what she's doing and she's, um, she's really, she's honest, right? That's one of the most important things. Japanese people as a rule are honest, but, um, lying and just not disclosing everything is not exactly the same thing. So, um, when you find a good agent, uh, which is possible in Tokyo and Osaka and uh, some of the other cities, stick with them. Um, and just um, listen to the advice of the professionals that you worked with in the sense of, um, like, I know when I came in from another country with my own property investment experience under my belt and I came in all guns blazing, I thought I knew exactly what I was doing. I know, oh, this is great deal. Buy that, raise the rents, do this, do that. Just pause a little bit and listen to the people who are actually working here because it is a bit of a different market, Tokyo or not. Very true. Like Jacob Buchan. Who the heck? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but again, thank you so very much. Um, how can people get hold of you? Um, they can get hold of us through our website, uh, which is nippontradings.com, uh, or they can email us at info at nippontradings.com. Um, if you look on Instagram or Facebook uh, for a group or a page uh, or a profile called Japan Real Estate, that's usually going to be us. Um, and uh, our podcast, if you Google um, or search the iTunes store for Japan Real Estate Podcast, we're usually the only one that comes up. Yeah, I must admit that has been my my gym and step a companion <laughs> for the last week or so. I have been enjoying that solemnly so thank you again i really appreciate you making time this has been absolutely phenomenal our pleasure and good luck with your investments thank you thank you so much for watching everyone i absolutely love this conversation with Zeb. i find him super insightful extremely knowledgeable and even through all these conversations that i have with him i continuously learn so i absolutely love it i cannot wait for the first time that we can actually collaborate on some of the the deals and the properties that we're doing here so yeah Guys, if there's anything that you really specifically want to know, please do comment below. Tell us what you want to find out and I'll do my utmost best to go find out and do maybe a video on something that you want to know. And remember to subscribe.
Have an awesome day. Alrighty, so that's it for our conversation with Daphne. Again, we'll link to her YouTube channel in this episode show notes. Uh, be sure to check it out. Plenty of good content there. And do leave us your comments and your feedback in the comment section or wherever you might have found this episode, of course, but also on the iTunes store or on Spotify, if that's where you're tuning in from. Just a tiny click on the star rating you want to give us or a few written words would really, really make our day. Do stay tuned and join us again next time. We're going to be discussing some important legislation that's been in the works for quite some time now and is finally taking more concrete shape and form. And that one may affect you, particularly if, like many of our customers, you've been investing in these um, older cash cow type condo units that are so popular here in Japan. So watch the space that's coming on our next episode next week. Hope to have you with us again next time. Uh, do subscribe to both our channel and Daphne's if you haven't done so already. And until then, from all of us here at MTI and from Daphne Thompson, we wish you a fantastic day or night or week ahead. Yoroshiku. Yoroshiku.